0: Chapter Nineteen of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This Lipavox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. What strange adventure do ye now pursue? Perhaps my succor or advisement meet moat stead ye much, Spencer. A barber surgeon one day bleeding a farrier bound up his arm with a piece of red tape and pinned it. The farrier went the next day to shoe one of the king of the country's horses as he was driving the nail the pin pricked him the nail went too near the quick the horse's foot grew tender the king went out to hunt the horse threw him the king was taken up dead and was succeeded by his son whom he intended to have disinherited the next day for his cruel disposition the new king cut off his subjects heads made continual war upon all the states around conquered a great many countries gained a great many battles robbed murdered and burned and at last was assassinated himself when human nature could bear him no longer and at the end of his reign it was computed that a hundred millions of treasure and twenty millions of human lives had been wasted by the barber pinning a piece of red tape instead of tying it like his grandfather "'The luckiest accident for you in the world has just happened,' cried Lord Darby, entering Sir Osborne Morris's apartment, two full hours before the time he had appointed. "'Order your men to choose your best suit of harness, to pack it on a strong horse, to lead your own courser by the bridle, and to make all speed to the foot of the hill at Greenwich. "'There to wait till they be sent for, and you come with me. My barge awaits at the Duke's stairs.' but what is the matter my lord demanded sir osborne at least tell me if my horse must be barded no no i think not replied the earl at all events we shall find bards if we want them but be quick we have not a moment to lose though the tide be running down as quick as a tankard of bastard over the throat of a thirsty serving-man i will tell you the whole as we go longpole cried the knight to his follower who at the moment the earl entered Was in the room putting the last adjustment to his master's garments longpole quick you hear what lord darby says take the fluted suit oh the fluted the fluted by all means interrupted the earl it shows noble and knightly so shall we go along as in a roman triumph with flutes before and flutes behind the fluted by all means good longpole and lose no time on the road for every flagon you do not drink you shall have two at greenwich now maurice are you ready by heaven you make a gallant figure of it your tailor deserves immortality tis well tis mighty well but to my taste the cuts in your blue velvet have been better lined with a soft yellow than a white the hue of a young primrose the feather might have been the same but tis all a taste white does marvellous well the silver girdle and scabbard too but come we waste our moments let two of your men come with us "'Lord Darby conducted his new friend to the barge, "'and as they proceeded towards Greenwich with a quick tide, "'he informed him that some knights, Sir Henry Poynings, "'Sir Thomas Neville, and several others, "'having agreed to meet for the purpose of trying some newly invented arms, "'the king had been seized with a desire of going unknown "'to break a lance with them on Blackheath, "'and had privately commanded the Earl of Devonshire "'to accompany him as his aide. "'But that very morning at his house in westminster the earl had slipped and had so much injured his leg that his surgeon forbade his riding for a month as soon as i heard it continued lord darby i flew to his lodging and prayed him to let me be his messenger to the king to which petition he easily assented provided i set off with all speed for his grace expects him early now the moment that the king hears that the earl cannot ride he chooses him another aid and i so hope to manage that the choice may fall upon you if you break a lance to his mind you shall be well beloved for the next week at least and during that time you must manage to fix his favour but first let me give you some small portraiture of his mind so that by knowing his humour you may find means to find it the character which lord derby gave of henry the eighth shall here be put in fewer words He was then a very, very different being from the bloated despot which he afterwards appeared. All his life had hitherto been prosperity and gladness. No care, no sorrow had called into action any of the latent evil of his character, and he showed himself to those around him as an affable and magnificent prince, proud without haughtiness and luxurious without vice, endowed with great personal strength Blessed with robust health, and flourishing in the prime of his years, he loved with a degree of ostentation all those manly and chivalrous exercises which were then in their height in Europe, and placed, as it were, between the age of chivalry and the age of learning. He, in his own person, combined many of the attributes of each. In temper and in manner he was hasty, but frank, and had much of the generosity of youth unchilled by adversity, yet he was ever wilful and irritable and in his history even at that time may be traced the yet unsated luxurist and the incipient tyrant beginning a career in splendour and pride that was sure to end in despotism and blood it may well be supposed that the knight's heart beat quickly as the boat came in sight of the palace at greenwich it had nothing however to do with that agitation which men often weakly feel on approaching earthly greatness "'accustomed to a court, though a small one, "'if Sir Osborne had ever experienced those sensations "'they had long left him. "'But he felt that on what was to follow "'from the present interview, "'perhaps on that interview itself, "'depended his father's fortune and his own, "'more, his own happiness for ever. "'Lord Derby's rowers had plied their oars to some purpose, "'and before ten o'clock the barge was alongside "'the king's stairs at Greenwich. "'Come, Sir Osborne,' cried the earl, Bearing a message which his grace will think one of great consequence, I shall abridge all ceremony, and find my way as quickly to his presence as I can. The two young men sprang to the shore, followed by their attendants, and passed the parade, which was quite empty, the king having taken care to disperse the principal part of his court in various directions, that his private expedition might pass unnoticed, feeling a sort of romantic interest in the concealment and mystery of his proceedings the earl led the way across the vacant space to one of the doors of the palace which opened into a sort of waiting-hall called the hall of lost seps where the two friends left their servants and proceeding up a staircase that seemed well known to lord darby they came into a magnificent saloon wherein an idle page was gazing listlessly from one of the windows ha master snell cried the earl may his grace be spoken with on no account whatever my noble lord replied the page i am placed here expressly to prevent any one from approaching him his grace is at his prayers go then good master snell said the earl and bid our royal master add one little prayer for the earl of devonshire who has fallen in his house at westminster and is badly hurt and tell his grace that i bear an humble message from the earl who dared not confide it to a common courier i go directly my noble lord said the page the king will find this bad news and making all haste he left the room by a door on the other side of the apartment this is indeed a kingly chamber said sir osborne gazing around upon the rich arras mingled with cloth of gold which covered the walls how poor must the court of burgundy have seemed to the king when he visited the princess regent at Lille, and yet perhaps he scarcely saw the difference even while he spoke the door by which the page had gone out was again thrown open and a tall handsome man entered the apartment with haste and peevishness in his countenance he was apparently about thirty years of age broad-chested and powerfully made muscular but not fat and withal there was an air of dignity and command in his figure that might well become a king he seemed to have been disturbed half-dressed for under the loose gown of black velvet which he wore was to be seen one leg clothed in steel while the other remained free of any such cumbersome apparel the rest of his person as far as might be discovered by the opening of the gown was habited in simple russet garments guarded with gold while on his head he wore a silver-brimmed black bonnet and a jewelled plume lord darby and sir osborne immediately doffed their hats as the king entered the young knight not very well pleased to see the irritable spot that glowed on his brow how now my lord how now cried henry as they advanced what is this the page tells me devonshire is hurt is ill what is it what is it man speak i am sorry to be the bearer of evil news to your grace replied lord darby with a profound inclination but this morning as my lord of devonshire was preparing to set out to render his duty to your highness his foot slipped heaven knows how and his surgeons fear he has dislocated one of the bones of the leg he therefore being unwilling to trust an ordinary messenger begged me humbly in his name to set forth his case before you and to crave your gracious pardon for thus unintentionally failing in his service tut he could not help it cried henry the man broke not his bones and wrenched not his leg to do me a displeasure "'and yet in this is fortune cross-grained, "'for where now shall I find an aid "'who may supply his place? "'But how now, what is this? "'Who have you with you? "'You are bold, young lord, "'to bring a stranger to my privy-chamber. "'Ha! How now, mother of God? "'you are too bold!' "'Hope sickened in Sir Osborne's bosom, "'and bending his head, "'he fixed his eyes upon the ground, "'while Lord Darby replied, "'nothing abashed by the king's reproof pardon me my liege but trusting to the known quality of your royal clemency which finds excuses for our faults even when we ourselves can discover none i made bold to bring to your grace's presence this famous knight sir osborne maurice who being himself renowned in many courts in feats of arms has conceived a great desire to witness the deeds of our most mighty sovereign whose prowess and skill whether at the tourney or in the just at the barriers or with the battle-axe is so noised over Europe that none who are themselves skilful can refrain from coveting a sight of his royal daring. Allow me to present him to your grace. Sir Osborne advanced, and kneeling gracefully before the king, bent his head over the hand that Henry extended towards him. While pleased with his appearance and demeanour, the monarch addressed him with a smile. "'Think not we are churlish, Sir Knight, or that we do not welcome you freely to our court,' by st mary such young gallants as these must be held in check or they outrun their proper bounds but judge not of our poor doings by darby's commendation he has of a sudden grown eloquent on such a theme who might not be a narrator said sir osborne rising were i to doubt lord darby i must think that fame herself is your grace's courtier acting as your herald in every court and challenging a world to equal you "'Fie, fie! I must not hear you!' cried the king. "'Darby, come hither. I would speak with you. Come hither, I say.' Sir Osborne drew a step back, and the king, taking the young earl into the recess of the window, spoke to him for a moment in a low tone, but still sufficiently loud for a great part of what he said to be audible to the knight, especially towards the conclusion. "'A powerful man,' said the king, "'and valiant as he is strong, will prove a knight indeed.' think you he would most assuredly my liege replied the earl he is your grace's born subject only his father having fallen into some unhappy error in the reign of our last royal king sir osborne has had his training at the court of burgundy and received his knighthood from the sword of maximilian the late emperor good good said henry i remember hearing of his father twas either simnel or perkin warbeck or some such treasonous cause he espoused but all that is past sir knight he continued turning to sir osborne what if in my armoury we could find a harness that would fit you are you minded to break a lance as consort with the king ha this very morning ay this very hour what say you ha that i should hold an honour never to be forgot my liege "'replied the knight. "'And for the arms, my own, are here at Greenwich. "'They might be brought in a moment.' "'Quick, then, quick!' cried the king. "'But we must be secret. "'Stop, stop. "'You go, Lord Darby. "'Send for the arms, quick. "'Is your horse here, sir-knight? "'By St. Mary, tis happy you came. "'Darby, bid them take the knight's horse "'into the small court and shut the gates. "'Quick with his armour. "'Bid them put no bards on the horses and be secret. "'I'll go arm.' you arm here sir knight snell stand firm at that door let no one pass but lord darby and the knight's armourer be quick sir knight i charge you be quick and above all let us be secret remember we will never raise our visors these knights think of no such encounter but fancy they have it all amongst themselves they have kept their just mighty secret but we will break their lances for them the king now left sir osborne who delighted with the unexpected turn which his humour had taken waited impatiently for lord darby's return expecting every minute to see the other door open and henry reappear before he had even received his armour at length however lord darby came and with him our friend longpole who as the page would only allow one person to enter with the earl received that part of the armour which he did not carry himself from the attendant without and then flew to assist his lord sir osborne lost no time and expert by constant habit he put on piece by piece with a rapidity that astonished the young earl who accustomed alone to the tilt-yard was unacquainted with the facility acquired by the unceasing exercises of the camp at length while longpole was buckling the last strap the king re-entered alone completely armed and with his beaver down what ready sir knight cried he nay faith you have been expeditious lord bless you sir cried longpole never dreaming that he spoke to the king my master puts on his arms as king hal took terroen how now cried sir osborne afraid of what might come next but the king held up his hand to him to let the man speak how is that good fellow demanded he why he just puts his hand on it and it is done replied longpole thou art a merry knave said henry "'better pleased perhaps with the unquestionable compliment of the yeoman "'than he would have been with the more refined and studied praise of many an eloquent oration. "'Thou art a merry knave. Say, canst thou blow a trumpet?' "'Aye, that I can, to your worship's contentment,' replied Longpole, "'who began to see by the looks of Lord Derby and his master that something was wrong. "'I hope I have not offended.' no no answered henry not in the least snell fetch him a trumpet with a blanched banner now fellow take the trumpet that that page will bring you and getting on your horse follow us when you shall come to a place where you see lists up blow me a defiance hast thou never a vizard to put thy muzzle in darby in that chamber you will find him a masking vizard that we may not be recognized by his face hereafter longpole was soon furnished with one of the half-masks of the day the long beard of which intended to conceal the mouth and chin as it had been worn by the king himself was composed of threads of pure gold so that the yeoman bore an ample recompense upon his face for the duty the king put him on he would fain have had his remark upon the vizard but beginning to entertain a suspicion of how the matter really stood he wisely forbore and followed his master and lord Derby, who preceded by the king passed down a narrow back staircase into the smaller court wherein stood the horses prepared for their expedition all now passed in almost profound silence the king and his aide mounted and followed by longpole with his trumpet issued forth through two gates into the park where taking the wildest and most unfrequented paths they made a large circuit in order that their approach might seem from any other quarter than the palace. After gaining the forest on Shooter's Hill, the king led the way through one of the roads in the wood, to what we may call the back of Blackheath, on the very verge of which they might behold a group of gentlemen on horseback, with a crowd of lookers-on afoot, disposed in such sort as to show that their exercises were begun the spot which they had chosen was a very convenient one for their purpose shaded on the south by a grove of high elms whose very situation has not been traceable for more than two centuries but which then afforded a width of shade sufficient for several courses to wheel and charge therein without the eyes of the riders being dazzled by the morning sunshine at the foot of these trees extended an ample green soft smooth and even round which the tilters had pitched the staves and drawn the ropes, marking the limits of the field, and in the northern end was erected a little tent for them to arm in before, and rest after the course. The four knights themselves who had met to try their arms, together with several grooms an armourer, a mule to bear the spears and two horses for the armour, with their several drivers, formed the group within the lists, which, in the wide extended plain whereon they stood, looked but a spot, and would have seemed less still, had it not been for the crowd of idlers that hung about the ground, and the four knightly pennons, which, disposed in a line, with a few yards' distance between them, caught the eye as it wandered over the heath, and attracted it to the spot, by their flutter and their gaudy hues. The king paused for a moment to observe them, and then beckoning Longpole to come up, now ride on trumpet cried he blow a challenge and then say that two strange knights claim to break two lances each and pass away unquestioned at this command longpole rode forward and while henry and his master followed more slowly blew a defiance on his trumpet at the entrance of the lists and then in a loud voice pronounced the message with which the king had charged him as he finished henry and sir osborne presented themselves and sir thomas neville the chief of the other party after some consultation with his companions rode up and replied though we are here as a private meeting for our own amusement only yet we will not refuse to do the pleasure of the stranger knights and as there are four of us we will each break a spear with one of the counterparty which will make the two lances apiece that they require suffer the knights to enter he continued, to the keeper of the barrier, and Henry, with the young knight, taking the end of the ground in silence, waited till their lances should be delivered to them. Whether the tilters suspected or not who was the principal intruder on their sport matters not, though it is indeed more than probable that they did, for it was well known to everybody that if Henry heard of any rendezvous of the kind, he was almost certain to be present, either privately or avowedly and indeed on one occasion recorded by hall the chronicler of that day this romantic spirit had almost cost him dear the sport being carried on so unceremoniously as nearly to slay the gentleman by whom he was accompanied and to bring his own life into danger on the present occasion no words passed between the two parties and after a few minutes conversation amongst the original holders of the ground as to who should first furnish the course to the strangers sir thomas neville presented himself opposite to the king and sir henry poynings one of the best knights of the day prepared to run against sir osborne now do your best my knight said the king to his aide. you have got a noble opponent the spears were delivered the knights couched their lances and galloping on against each other like lightning the tough ash staves were shivered in a moment against their adversaries casks valiantly done said henry to sir osborne as they returned to their place valiantly done you struck right in the groove of the basnet and wavered not an inch who are these two i wonder they have their beavers down while he spoke the spears were again delivered and upon what impulse or from what peculiar feeling would be difficult to say but sir osborne felt a strong inclination to unhorse his opponent and couching his lance with dexterous care as far as possible to prevent its splintering he struck him in full course upon the gorget just above its junction with the corslet and bore him violently backwards to the ground where he lay apparently deprived of sense by this time the king had shivered his lance and some of the attendants ran up to unlace the fallen man's helmet whence to his surprise sir osborne beheld the countenance of sir payan he appeared to be much hurt by his fall but that was a thing of such common occurrence in those days that no further notice was ever taken of an accident of the kind than by giving the injured person all the assistance that could be administered at the time however it may well be supposed that sir osborne maurice felt no ordinary interest in the sight before him by an extraordinary coincidence overthrown by his hand though without intention and apparently nearly killed lay the persevering enemy who had swallowed up the fortunes of his house, and had sought so unceasingly to sweep it for ever from the face of the earth. And while he lay there, prostrate at his feet, with the ashy hue of his cheek paler than ever, and his dark eye closed as if in death, Sir Osborne still thought he could see the same determined malignity of aspect with which he had declared that he would found his title to the Lordship of Chillam Castle on the death of its heir still holding the lance in his hand the knight bent over the bow of his saddle and through the bars of his volant-piece contemplated the face of his fallen adversary, till he began to unclose his eyes and look around him when sir thomas neville thinking that the stranger was animated by feelings of humanity turned to him saying that sir payan had only been a little stunned and would do very well now gentlemen continued he addressing the king and sir osborne We must, according to promise, let you pass away unquestioned. But I will say that two more valiant and skilful knights never graced a field, nor is it possible to say which outdoes the other. But ye are worthy companions, and true knights both, and so fare ye well. The king did not reply, lest he should be recognized by his voice. But bending low, in token of his thanks, rode out of the lists, accompanied by Sir Osborne, and followed by Longpole now by my faith, sir knight cried henry when they had once more reached the cover of the wood you have far exceeded my expectations and i thank you heartily good faith i do for your aid but i must have you stay with me our poor court will be much graced by the addition of such a knight what say you ha? Huh to serve your grace replied sir osborne is my first wish to merit your praise my highest ambition it is but little to say that you may command me "'when you command all. "'But if my zeal to obey those commands "'may be counted for merit, "'I will deserve some applause.' "'Wisely spoken,' answered the king. "'We retain you for hours from this moment, "'and that you may ever be near our person, "'we shall bid our chamberlain "'find your apartments in the palace.' "'How say you, sir knight? "'Are you therewith contented?' "'Your grace's bounty outstrips "'even the swift wings of hope,' "'replied Sir Osborne.' "'but I will try to fly gratitude against it, "'and though perhaps she may not be able to overtop, "'she shall at least soar an equal pitch.' "'The knight's allusion to the royal sport of falconry "'was well adapted to the ears that heard it. "'Every one must have remarked "'that whatever impressions are intended to be produced "'on the mind of man are always best received "'when addressed to his heart through its most common associations. "'Whether we wished to explain,' to convince to touch or to engage we must refer to something that is habitual and pleasing and therefore the use of figures in eloquence is not so much to enrich and to deck as to find admission to the soul of the hearer and by all the paths which its own habits have rendered most easy of access thus sir osborne without knowing it drew his metaphor from a sport in which the king delighted and more convinced of his zeal by these few words than if the young knight had spoken for an hour the king replied i doubt ye not faith i doubt ye not but this night we give a mummery unto our lady queen when i shall bring you to her knowledge tis a lady full of graciousness and though tis i who say it one that will love well all that i love but now let us haste for the day wears." and as you shall be my masking peer we must think of some quaint disguise darby shall be another and being all light of foot we will tread a measure with the fair ladies you are a proper man and may perchance steal some hearts wherein you shall have our favour if tis for your good advancement but turn me down this other path in that i see some strangers quick merry mother i would not be discovered for another kingdom End of chapter 19